Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. You can also connect with me on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Praying Medic. Now let's jump into this week's show. Good morning, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, David. It's good to talk to you. It's been too long. It's tea time for you, isn't it? It's tea time here. It is uh, about 5.15 in the afternoon here, yeah. You actually have tea about 4 or 5 in the afternoon? Well, that's an expression, really. Most British people don't actually have tea at specific times. Aha. Uh-huh. Does that smash a, a nice image for you? It does. I really want to talk about the supernatural housewife uh-huh. and when the lion roars uh-huh. and some time alteration and other fun things. Oh, there's lots of fun. I never know what to talk about first, really. So how did you get started in healing in going out on the streets and healing people? Um, I saw a few people healed before my kids were healed, which is always fascinating. So... Before I got filled with the Holy Spirit, before I had tongues, before I had any of these things that people think they need to move in healing, right. I saw people healed. Um, but when I really kind of got hold of it and started intentionally doing it a bit more was probably late 2009 into 2010. And it was actually after I listened to um, Curry Blake's DHT healing training. And that helped me understand why certain things worked. Gave you a foundation for yeah, understanding. Like a scriptural grid for what was already happening, if you like. Yeah. I instinctively knew that God wanted to heal before my children were. And I think that's, you know, that may be the reason why you saw people healed straight away. Well, many of us had to pray over hundreds and hundreds of people because <laughs> we in- did not instinctively know that God wanted to heal people. I... Well, I was an atheist, and then even when I was a believer, for the first seven or eight years, I didn't believe in healing or miracles at all. I was a cessationist. So I had a lot of unbelief and doubt I had to overcome. I had more stuff to unprogram, whereas I've only been a Christian for 13 years. So there hadn't been a lot of time for me to get kind of bad teaching. Right. There wasn't wasn't stuff to unprogram. Um it's just that the first church I was in just kind of hadn't got hold of that kind of stuff. It was Church of England church, you know, lovely people, but just didn't run with healing. And, and when I started to get hold of it and was kind of like saying, why don't we have healing meetings? <laughs> like, let's have a healing meeting. Um, I remember someone looking at me and saying, well, we don't want to give people false hope, dear. And I'm like, I don't understand. Well, you know, I just, I didn't understand, but I didn't have scriptural arguments to try and, and that's probably just as well, because, you know, I have been known to bulldoze people with my scriptural arguments. I'm recovering. <laughs> I'm recovering from that phase. Are you a recovering Pharisee like me? I'm a recovering, I think my Facebook profile currently says recovering evangelical Christian, doesn't it? Oh, uh, it might. Under religious belief. <laughs> 
I'm learning not to kind of smash people over the head with what I believe. I'm like, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll just show you instead. I, I think that's wise. I, I tend to like to, I, I don't really like to bully people into believing certain things. I don't think it helps. Uh, I prefer when people come to me and they say, okay, I read the other day that you were talking about this. Can you explain to me what what in the world does this mean? What are you talking about? How do I understand this? How does it work for me? And when people are then ready for me to explain or show them what it looks like, um, it it always works better. Like emotional healing is a good example. I have a fair number of friends who don't have much of a grid for emotional healing. Mm. But then I start posting testimonies of people who've been healed. And some of the people who are initially opposed to it, when they read the testimony, they think, okay, I probably need to find out more about this. Yeah. And that when they come to you and ask you about it, I think it's a great teaching opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you actually look at what Jesus did, um, most of what he taught was in response to a question. Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah he didn't exactly... He out to me the other day. I haven't had time to do a detailed study on it, but um, I'm pretty sure when I do, I'm going to, you know... He's just like, well, most of what I taught was when they asked him a question. Told them they might tell them a straight answer. Most of the time, it was a parable or something. But it, he didn't kind of push it on a lot of people. He wasn't very pushy. They came to listen to him because words got out about him, but he didn't. Right. Um, I think the healings were a demonstration of the kingdom, and then when people saw the healings, they came to him and they said, "Okay." hang on a minute, can you explain what this is all about? <laughs> and and then, when, then when their mind is ready and they're curious and they're teachable, yeah, yeah, yeah. being teachable, I think, is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many people who just don't want to be teachable. They, they have what their beliefs, they have their ideas, and they don't want to hear anything contrary to that. Mm-hmm. And with those people, uh, it's like banging your head against a wall trying to teach them. That's the point. There's absolutely no point until they want to know. <laughs> My husband booked a day off work because um, I um, haven't been around a lot lately and I'm away this coming. I'm going away tomorrow and then next weekend I'm away as well. So I said, book Friday off and then we can have a day together and the kids are at school so we can go out for lunch and whatever. So we, <laughs> we went out and we were just kind of having a look around the junk shops and stuff that's our thing and then we went to look for somewhere to have lunch and I didn't really want to go. he wanted to go to this place on the waterfront for lunch and I'm like I don't I really don't fancy it I don't really want to go that way and he kind of went no come on come on it's nice come on it sort of made me go that way and we walked around the corner and there's this guy that I had met months ago when I was working reception um at a place locally um and when I met him, he was in quite a state, um, had probably been using that day, I don't know, or alcohol, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in a particularly good place. And on the sly, while I'm temping a reception at this place, I managed to get a few minutes with him and sit with him and just talk to him and encouraged him because he was um, sort of saying that he'd been clean for a while, but he was struggling and, you know. So I've just given a bit of gentle encouragement, waited till... I don't know what how this works, but God kind of just gives you this bubble where no one turns up. Have you ever had that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just oh, like, yeah. 
you're like any minute now the, the other receptionist is going to come back and i need to be a bit careful here you know and i so i just got to sit with him and just like you know pray for him a bit and and um i'd already um like prayed for his friend i think that he was there so he was actually there supporting a friend so we walked around the corner today i'd completely forgotten about this guy and there's a few of them kind of sitting on the waterfront and i was sort of like hang on a minute pete i'm just gonna go and talk to this this guy and he remembered me and um I was, I was like i thought he might not remember me i mean it was months ago it was like eight months ago probably he said hello do you remember me and he looked for me and he went oh yeah he put his arms out like that to hug me and i thought okay then in for a penny <laughs> <laughs> he's just kind of used to walking into rooms and finding me holding strange men's hands and things now he doesn't kind of worry too much he's like you know he's used to it um so and then he's chatting with us and and letting me pray for him more but he looks so much better than the last time i saw him he, he's got a way to go bless him but there was this guy behind him at one point, he's, he's, he's had a recent incident. I think someone had given him a bit of a um, kicking, this guy. And his ribs were hurting him. He's got two broken ribs. And he said he, he's, they'd given him a brace to wear, but he hadn't bought it out with him. He, he was needed to go home soon and put it on, sort of thing, because it was starting to hurt him. So he let me pray for them. And, and the guy that was sitting on the bench behind him sort of went, what's the matter with him? And I just looked over his shoulder and said, no, it's all right, there's nothing wrong, I'm just praying for him, we know each other from before, kind of thing. Oh, right. And he said, are you Catholic? I said, no, I'm just a Christian. Oh, well, don't play for me then if you're not Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> so I just went, okay. I'm like, you're not going to start an argument, because all he was trying to do was start an argument. And And, you know, you're saying about it's not worth trying to argue people into accepting things it's, it's, i was just like you know what i don't need to argue with you if you walk away from here with your friend and start bad mouthing me or you know saying oh yeah that's a load of old hokum i'm pretty sure this friend will put them right you yeah. know yeah don't, i don't need to kind of fight that battle but that's something that you learn over time i think there's a time where i'd have said oh well it's you know it's still jesus and it's still and tried to talk him into letting me pray for him but it's like i actually i don't need to prove it anymore yes well when you start out with healing in public it is very easy to become overzealous and you want to pray for everyone and you will chase them down and you will argue them into no no you need to let me pray for you you're going to be healed and you become kind of obnoxious at mm-hmm. at some point. I went through that phase, and I know a lot of people have gone through it. And uh, maturity, hopefully, either works that out of you, <laughs> or you just become an obnoxious person the rest of your life. Or you get burned out on it, actually. I know quite a few people yes. who, unfortunately, were in our, our tribe years yes. ago who were chasing people down and they were running after people to get them healed, many of them now, not only are they not doing street healing, they have completely walked away from the Lord. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And I still scratch my head and wonder what happened there. I'm very careful about what I listen to as far as teaching goes. Um, and And I much prefer to be instructed by the Holy Spirit as opposed to being instructed by men. 
Yes. And um, as much as I, I enjoy a good YouTube video or a podcast uh, from from someone who really has good revelation and good experiences, I find that if you follow the teaching of a particular individual too long, too yes. much, yes. it can lead to a very sterile uh, spiritual experience. And you become very dogmatic, yeah. and you tend to become very very close, close-minded. Absolutely. And I don't think that's healthy. I think it's good to get a lot of different perspectives and views on things. And uh, I, I really love how the Holy Spirit teaches me, both through my dreams and visions and through the encounters that I have with people. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm praying for someone, and I get into this unexpected situation where they have an issue that I've never encountered before. And I momentarily think, oh, Lord, what do I do now? And then he gives me this impression. And I think, okay, well, I'm just going to try this. Yeah. And it works. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, uh, wow, I learned something new today. I'll add that one to my tool belt. Yes, add one to the tool belt. And that's that's what, you know, what I've learned is operating in the supernatural is a bit like being a carpenter. If you walk into a woodworking shop, a carpenter's shop, there are hundreds of tools. Mm. There are drills and sanders and planes and saws of all different kinds. And we are going to encounter a lot of different issues and problems that people need to have solved. Some of them are financial. Some of them are demonic oppression. Some of them are wounded souls and mental issues. Yeah. Some of them are physical. Some are relational. We have all these different problems that people have. And if you think that one tool is going to solve all those problems, it doesn't work. And the thing that I've, I've run into with a lot of people who get excited about the supernatural is uh, they learn how to use authority. And then they think authority is the solution to every problem. Yeah. And it's not. If you just keep going long enough and shout loud enough. And, yes. Yeah, yes. Because what I've learned is authority literally has no uh, ability to heal somebody who has emotional wounds. No. You can work on an emotionally wounded person from the, trying to exercise your authority all you want. You're not going to make any progress with them at all. No, because it's... It, a damage that's been done in the way they think and right. what they're walking around with, their self-talk, their right. self-image, you know, whatever that's been broken. And you can command that all you like. It's not going to... It's not going to change. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what, I've, what I'm trying to encourage people to, to do is to realize there are many, many different tools that, that God has created for us to use. Mm -hmm. And we need to be, learn how to become comfortable using all the different tools and know when to use yeah. which tool. You know, the old saying, if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. No. So can you tell um, the audience how your children were healed? There's an audience then. I was just enjoying the masterclass. Well, <laughs> we, d we do have an audience who's listening. Oh, God. And we 
an interview. I was just sitting at your feet for a moment there, Dave. Anyway, yes. Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm pretending this is just an interview with, and a conversation with you and me, but I think the healing of your children is an absolutely amazing testimony. Can you yes. talk a little bit about that? I'm still pinching myself, and it's been, what, seven years Six, now? Six, seven years, yeah. Seven years, 2009, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's a long story, which is why it turned into a book, obviously. But, right. Well, we have a lot of time. I don't know how much time you have, but I have no time restraints. This is my day off work, and you can talk as long as you want. Okay. So, when our children were born, we weren't Christians. All three of them were born when we were not believers. And when we got married in a church, because it kind of seemed like the right thing to do, and we weren't kind of anti-God, but we weren't Christians at that point. Then in 2001, I lost a sister very suddenly. We were a very, very close family. I mean, that's a blow in any family, but in a, in a family of five daughters, it's like there's suddenly this huge hole opens up, you know. Um, but through the, the grieving process of that, we got put in touch with a, a local um, church. Purely because my sister has moved away with her husband, so her funeral happened a long way from where we grew up, and there was no way that a lot of people that would have wanted to pay their respects could kind of go. So the the local um, priest helped us organise a um, memorial service for her, and he was really good. He just kind of let us have the church and do our own thing and read our poems and sing our songs and the church was packed I mean she knew a lot of people you know and was was well thought of and loved so that was really helpful and that was what put us in touch with the church really was that experience so then um, in 2003 when our last daughter was born we went to register her birth and we saw um, a thing for like secular naming ceremonies on the wall, baby naming day. And we're like, that would be really nice. It would be a kind of positive focus for the rest of the family, you know, something, you know, a little new beginning kind of thing. But when we looked into it, because you have to have a registrar do it, you have to have it in a certain place, and it turned into this great big expensive thing, which wasn't what we wanted. So I, I turned to my husband and said, do you think that nice vicar at Lid would help us? You know, so I phoned him up and just explained what we wanted to do. And he said, can we bring God into it a bit? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, I think that would be OK. We're just not really big on churches at the moment. It's it's all a bit raw, you know. So can, could we do something somewhere else? And we didn't want a christening. We didn't, you know, we didn't want a traditional christening. Um more out of respect for the fact that we didn't really know if we believed that more than because we were anti, per se, you know. Um, right. So this lovely man did um, a little baby dedication service in a gazebo outside my parents' house. Just They lived where there was a lot of open ground on Saturday evening and, um, and rededicated our... Man, we rededicated our marriage vows at the same time, so it was our tenth, or around the time of our tenth wedding anniversary. Um, and that was kind of what, what put us in touch with the church. And he then invited us on to an Alpha course, 
and it and it just rolled from there. And then in 2008, I um, was put in touch with a church called Revival Fires just outside Dudley, which is in uh, Birmingham in the UK. They were having um, a big, uh, they called it the outpouring, and it kind of sprang from what was going on in Lakeland at the same time. With oh, OK. Right. And I ended up watching this online every night, and I got my back healed over the internet, and you know, just crazy stuff. You know, 2008 was like. There's a the, lot of people that. It was a huge year because Todd Bentley was. To that year. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Lakeland was huge, and Todd Bentley was. I consider him to be one of the forerunners of this modern healing movement. Mm. You know, Todd White and people like uh, Steve Harmon and Pete Cabrera, and. Art Thomas and all these other guys all came out sort of at the same time. It, it was an amazing year in 2008. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when it hit me. So we got in touch with this. We sort of went a couple of times and went to meetings. And then in 2009, in January, I went to a conference and I knew... I mean, I've been there'd been moments where I'd shouted at God and said, you could heal my kids in, a, in an instant if you want. By this point... Two of them had been actually diagnosed and were on medication, and the youngest one was kind of going in the same direction. You know. So they had ADD, ADHD, and ASD. Is that and food allergies? Kind of, a kind of combination of that, and um, yeah, not food allergies in terms of, of um, like uh, allergic reactions, but tolerances more that affected okay. their behaviour. So, like, if if you gave one of them a, an orange, it was like giving some children a, a tin of Coke. Wow. Like, they'd be like, <clears throat> like a rocket, you know. It was, and it and it just made life in general difficult, you know. I can imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I can remember getting really upset one day with God and saying, "You could heal my kids in an instant." Like, by this time, we're part of a Pentecostal church, you know, where everyone fully believes in healing, but there wasn't an awful lot happening, if I'm honest, in that church. Um, and I was like, you could heal my kids in an instant, God. You know, if you really wanted to. I was getting really cross with him. Didn't know what, what the deal was, really. Um, and then I went to a conference in January 2009, and I knew, I don't know why, I didn't. it didn't occur to me that he was going to heal my kids at this conference, which sounds bizarre when you say it now, but I knew that something... I knew there was something big, and there was a huge battle over my work and whether I was going to be able to go. And you know, and the more silly it got, the more I was like, "I am going to this conference." It's happening. Doesn't it almost seem like sometimes the enemy has a better understanding of what is going to happen with you if you go to a certain thing? Yeah. And he does everything to try to make sure you can't make it. Oh, everything! I had software playing up. I was building a website for someone at the time, and I had software playing up that had always behaved itself perfectly. All kinds of stupid technical issues going wrong that were never a problem usually. In the end, I just basically turned around to the devil and said, "If I have to give that guy his money back, I will." And I couldn't afford to. But I was like, "I will," but I am going to that conference. And the second I did that, it all stopped. It was like he knew he game over. She's going to the conference, and I'm not going to stop her. Bizarre. You call his bluff. Nice one. Yeah, I called his bluff, kind of, really. But um, and I went, I went to the conference, and the whole right from from the off, 
God was speaking to me, God was touching me, I got completely, I'd never experienced being filled with the Spirit like that before, I was completely just gone, laying on the floor. You were like, a nut job then, after that. <laughs> I, I was fairly madcap before that, but, but in a kind of locked up kind of a way. You, know. you went right off the rails. And then I went right off the rails, I was, I just, I, I mean, I used to see people like getting drunk in the spirit and falling over and stuff, I think, oh, give me a break. Right. That'll yeah. never happen to me. Yeah. But you were you were a walking drunk for a while. I was for several days. In fact, I I still meet people now at that church, and they'll say, oh yes, we come every year to the secret place conference, you know, and I'll say, were you here in January two thousand and nine? And they're like, yeah. I said, Remember that lady that couldn't... Remember that lady that was staggering around <laughs> incoherent? Well, there's a lot of people... There's quite often a lot of people kind of vaguely like that, but I was like that for the whole three or four days, I think. And every time I tried to worship, and I like singing, I love singing, I enjoy music, it was actually getting quite irritating because I would get into the middle of the first verse, you know, just getting into it, hand in the air, and go... <laughs> And that would be it for the next hour. Gone. I couldn't stop. I'd just wow. be laughing and laughing and laughing. And I can say to people like seven years on, I'll say, were you here in 2009, January? Yeah. You remember the laughing lady? And they'll go, oh, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, I had a very similar experience it, in, in, 2000, in 2009. Did you? I went to the Spiritual Hunger Conference at... The Healing Rooms, so the International Association of Healing Rooms, um, Cal Pierce and those guys, they have an annual hunger conference in Spokane in September. And Denise and I went, it was right around the time of our anniversary. And we went there, and oh my gosh, there were a couple of sessions during worship. I got hit by the laughing spirit, and I was rolling on the floor laughing. I could not control myself. I thought... You know, I was a recovering Pharisee, and the Lord knew he needed to break that junk off of me. So I was just uncontrollably laughing, and uh, it, this joy just came over me. Just incredible joy came over me. Oh, yeah. In addition to, we went out, we we did some um, treasure hunts on the streets. We went out and um, found people through words of knowledge and got a lot of people healed. We were prophesying over people. We had, that was the conference where... Um, the Lord kept telling me that I should command this storm system over the southeastern part of the United States. My my brother had emailed me before I went to the conference, and he said, hey, you know, if you believe in God, why don't you have him stop this, this rain? Um, he lives down in Tennessee, and there was a storm front that had parked itself over the southeastern part of the country. It had been raining for weeks. In one day, they had 21 inches of rain in Nashville. The Cumberland River flowed out of its banks, and it was flooding everywhere. Yeah, and so fun. this storm had been stationary for three weeks, torrential rains in this part of the country. And so um, every morning when I would go to the conference hall from the hotel, I would walk through the lobby. I would, I would tell the Lord, why don't you do something about that? And he would say back to me, why don't you do something about it? Yeah. And we had this little conversation three days in a row. And I, I finally went to my friends and I said, okay, the, the Lord is telling me I should do something about this rain in the, in the southeast part of the country. What does that mean? 
And while I happened to have a couple of nut job friends who had commanded weather systems to stop and move and change the weather and all this stuff, they'd done it for a long time. And they said, oh, yeah, that's no problem. We can do that. We'll take care of it. I'll show, we'll show you how to do it. So during one of the breaks, we went out in front of the conference hall, stood there, and we all made declarations into the atmosphere that the storms would stop and that Stormfront would move out over the ocean. That day, it moved. And I went in the next morning and watched the weather in the hotel room. And uh, you could just see the Stormfront move out over the Atlantic Ocean. No more rain. Everything was completely changed. That was in 2009. <laughs> God just kind of squashed my box and really broke my paradigms open in 2009 through a lot of different things. He didn't squash your box. He tore it up and set it <laughs> Oh, oh gosh! Made a small bonfire out of your book. <laughs> it was, it was so good. So, so you're there at the conference, walking yeah. around, well, crawling, lost as could be. Time to be honest, and laying on the floor and stuff. But something else was happening at the same time. It start that started happening to me on like the Thursday of the conference, I think, and it just kind of built the whole time until on the Sunday morning I realised, but um. During that time, I don't know what day it was, while I was away, um, my son started to say that his tablets made him feel funny. He had um, medication for ADD, and he says, I feel funny. It's making me feel funny. Now, a number of weeks before, we'd actually had an accident where he'd taken more than one of his tablets. Don't leave medications out on the side. Don't do that, you know, stupid thing to do. But anyway, he took one, then forgot, and took the other, took another right. one. And then we sort of, he sort of realised, and we had to, like, phone the hospital and check his weight, and, you know, they kind of spoke to the poisons unit and said, no, that, that won't be enough to be a problem. He'll just be, like, super chilled for a few days, you know, and he might feel a bit kind of lightheaded. And I thought, okay. So he'd already had that experience. And then while I'm at the conference... He suddenly says to his dad, Dad, I feel funny, like I did when I had a bit too much of my tablet. And Pete said, well, we know, you know, after that happened, we were, like, super careful. So right. he's, like, so he's like, I know you haven't had more than you should have done. And then on the Sunday morning, I realised that God had healed my children. I thought... <laughs> if I listened back to what the preacher was saying, I would hear what he said that made made it go click in my head. But I, it's not there. I've listened. I've got the recordings. It's not there. But I was sat there with tears rolling down my face saying... You, you just had a knowing that the kids were healed. I, I had a knowing. You know, I just had a knowing. But of course, the reason that our son had said his tablet made him feel funny was because he didn't need it anymore. How did their healing manifest? Well, when I went home, um, well, I also found out afterwards that on the Sunday morning, my husband took the children to the church that we were part of at the time, um, and people kept saying to him, what's different about your son? Does he normally wear glasses? He looks different. What's different? You know, right. they were seeing something in the spirit that they couldn't give. His, his behavior had changed. Well, no, not his behavior. They said he looked different. But maybe oh, okay. it had changed as well, and they just weren't realizing it. But well, what I was what I was thinking is is that because he was healed, his behavior started to change, and people 
perceived it as a physical change without registering what it was yeah right. maybe yeah um but i i mean i have i have experienced um people um when they get saved they'll say to me afterwards people keep saying i look different <laughs> so i know right. that people see a change in the spirit and they can't give words to it so they'll kind of go have you changed your hair you right. got lipstick on, you know, and you're like, no, but I did get baptised in water last week. Does that count? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, in terms of how it actually manifested, I mean, I, I drove home that day, went into the house. I didn't get to speak to my husband before I got there. So I walked into the house in the evening, and, and he kind of went to call the kids, and I'm like, no, no, don't a minute, because I need to talk to you about something first. And we kind of went into the kitchen and just kind of closed the doors and I said look you know you knew there was big stuff happening with me because I had spoken to him um during the week obviously I said but you know God's healed the children and he was like okay I said now what do we do do we you know how do you want to handle this and and he just said well if you know what God has said to you then we stop giving them their tablets uh-huh. I should add that they are the kind of tablets that you can just stop taking suddenly. You know, right. So we might as well now talk a little bit about take stop taking your medication. Because I get this question a lot. I don't advise anybody <laughs> to stop taking medication except under the advice of a doctor. If you are taking medication that shouldn't be stopped suddenly, like antidepressants, for example. Right. You know, if you suddenly stop taking them, you can have all kinds of problems. I'm sure you know that. You know that you're healed. Then go to your doctor and talk to them. You know, and, and if you want to try coming off your tablets, do it under medical supervision because just stopping a drug can make you just as ill as, as what the original problem was. You know. Well, my, my most of my life as a paramedic has been spent mm. um, taking people to mental hospitals and yeah. emergency departments because they have depression and they have suicidal thoughts. And as soon as they stop taking their medications, within a few days, they're wanting to kill themselves. Yeah. And the, it's just this revolving door where they, they're they on their medications, they feel good for a while, they think they can stop taking their medications, and the next thing you know, they're, they want to kill themselves. But, but even, if, even <clears throat> if someone is, you know, completely healed, it's not a good idea to just suddenly stop because you just withdrawing that chemical from your body will give you a completely different set of symptoms with a lot of it, stuff. It, it can. And the Lord is able to let some people go off their medications immediately Absolutely. and w without the reactions and without the withdrawal. But those cases are rare. My sister um, got prayed for at a conference when she was a very new Christian. I took her and she got prayed for. And we completely forgot she'd been on these antidepressants for a long time, like years and years and years and years. There were so many other exciting things that happened during that, that weekend that we actually completely forgot that she'd had prayer for that. But after about a week or something, she suddenly thought, oh, hang on. She was on such a high when she came home from the conference, she'd actually been forgetting to take her tablets. <laughs> and she felt perfectly all right. So yep. she went to her doctor and just said, look, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. This is what happened. I got prayed for. I completely forgot to take my tablets. I wouldn't have deliberately not taken them, but seeing as it's been a week or 10 days or whatever, and I'm fine, 
what do you want to do? And the doctor just looked at her and said, well, you know, there's more things in heaven and earth than we understand, so if you feel okay, I'm happy for you to just not have them anymore. The doctor said that? Yep. That's great. I, I do know of people who have been to healing conferences who came home and it seemed almost as if God gave them amnesia about taking their medications. Yeah. They just simply forgot to take them yeah. for yeah. several weeks. I, I read this testimony from this woman who came home from a, a church healing conference and forgot to take her medication. She was very strict, very yeah. mindful, very religious about taking her medications all the time. Yeah. And she literally came home and for three weeks she had completely forgotten about her medications. And one day at work, it dawned on her, oh my gosh, I've been off my medications for three weeks. I think she had Crohn's disease, actually. Right. Or, or irritable bowel or something like that. And she had not had a flare-up for three weeks and had not taken any medication. And that's how she knew she was healed. Yeah. That does happen, but I, I, I always tell people, look, please don't just go off your medication. Yeah, exactly. Cold no, turkey. Yeah, you know, e- either... Either, ideally, go to your doctor and, mm-hmm. and talk to them and talk to the Holy Spirit and, and be sure that the Holy, if you, if the Holy Spirit is telling you, I want you to taper down off your medication or whatever, just be careful about it because you can get into a really serious situation if you're not careful. Self-ill is something that wasn't a problem before. Right. From taking right. those chemicals out of your body, sure. So, but anyway, these, these drugs were not in that kind of category that the children were on. Right. Uh, so we just stopped giving them. And it was only, I think I'd been home a couple of hours before it even dawned on us that that would mean they could eat normally now. Because there were all kinds of things that they couldn't eat, apples, oranges, and it was different for each child as well. So it made it really complicated. Apples and oranges would do it to one, another one chocolate, even organic chocolate was just a complete no-no. Oh, you, what is the point of living if you can't have chocolate? Well, <laughs> thankfully, no one, no one had a problem with bacon, so that was always a blessing. But, you, know, <laughs> you know, it was just mad, and it just made life so complicated. And invitations to birth, you, you got to the point where you dreaded an invitation to a birthday party because you've got two choices. You either went armed to the teeth with alternative snacks and the poor child felt completely left out, right. or... You let them eat what the other kids were having, and then you'd have a horrible week afterwards. Because the kids were bouncing off the walls. They're bouncing off the walls. Um, one of them would get really, really miserable rather than hyperactive. Ugh. Like, you know, really miserable. You can't. You just can't reason with them. You know, and when they're really little, you really can't reason with them. They'll just walk around the house going, and even they don't know why. You know. It, yeah, it was a couple of hours afterwards, one of the kids went, hang on a minute, Mummy, does that mean we can eat what we want now? Yeah. I was like, Ooh, the penny oh, dropped. Yeah. We went, on a, we went on a shopping trip. The groceries cost me a fortune for the next couple of weeks, as you can imagine, because they were just walking around, around the supermarket going, can we have red soda now? Can we have, you know, and I'm like, well, not every day, but yeah, let's try it. And we like tested this thing out, you know. They had all kinds of things that, that with all kinds of flavorings and yucky things in them without any problem at all. No reactions. No, one of them decided that she wanted to live on oranges, basically. <laughs> it was novelty. She's like, I want oranges. I'm going to have oranges for breakfast, dinner, and tea. And I kept saying to her, if you eat too many oranges, it will give you a stomachache. 
But other than that, and it did give her the stomach ache, you know, too much acid. But other than that, perfect. That's great. So your this whole testimony of going to the conferences, going going to the conference and getting whacked by the Holy Spirit and the kids getting healed, that whole process is written down in the book When the Lion Roars. It is, yes. Yeah. Which people can buy uh, on Amazon. On Amazon, and it's on Kindle, and it's also in paperback. And I've read it. Have and you? I actually did some editing. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you did. You know, I'd completely forgotten. You did some editing for me. Well, I was honored. I was honored to be able to edit the book a bit. Uh, it gave me a sneak peek at it. I just love that testimony. It is so amazing. And for people, I think for people who are struggling, not just with, you know, kids who have food issues and hyperactivity, but for people who are wondering, could God do this for me? Could God actually work miracles through me? How do I get, how do I become more in connected to God? Because you that was also a point where you really started to sense God's presence and the Holy Spirit and all that during that whole process. It's a really encouraging book for people who, who are not sensing God's presence, who aren't seeing him do things. I was kind of around the same time I started to have words of knowledge and things like that. And, and it, it, the whole, I just kind of got woken up, basically, is the, is yeah. the only way to explain it. But the, the stuff that happened with me at the conference was God healing a lot of stuff in me because he needed to deal with that before he healed the kids because otherwise I'd just go home to the kids kids, and I'd go home to the kids and I'd still be in the same behavioural patterns. You know, he kind of did it simultaneously. You know, some people are, are critical of uh, conference junkies. People yeah. who just spend their whole life going to one conference after another after another or, you know, people who need a prophetic word every day or they can't get out of bed. You know, you can get into this lifestyle where you become dependent on an experience. Of course. That's, that's the one extreme. But the other, the other thing is, I would say, uh, for people who are feeling spiritually dead or spiritually stuck or like they're not hearing God or they're not really seeing the supernatural, if you've never been to a really good conference I would suggest going to a couple of conferences. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, the Lord just wrecked me really good at a couple of conferences. Well, in 2009, at the Spiritual Hunger Conference, I got healed of a heart arrhythmia that I had for 25 years. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I, I had uh, PSVT, paroxysmal supraventricular tachycardia. It had been gotten... Can you spell into, that? Yes, I can, but <laughs> it's, it's on my website. The The... In 2007, it had become more severe. In 2008, it got to the point where it was happening so frequently. It would happen on duty. I would have to start an IV on myself and give myself medication in the ambulance to slow my heart rate down because my heart was beating over 200 times a minute. I have the EKGs to prove it. It was becoming a real problem. And a couple of years earlier, I had a dream about my heart being healed. I'd completely forgotten about it. And when I went to the Spiritual Hunger Conference in Spokane, I had an episode of tachycardia at the conference. My heart was just racing, racing, racing. They had a prayer team come over. They could see I was dripping with sweat, and I was really uncomfortable. And they said, should we call for an ambulance? And I said, no, I'm a paramedic. Don't call for an ambulance. God's going to heal me. 
And I had this confidence that God was going to heal me right then and there. And so, um, yeah, he healed me right then and there uh, in the conference. And uh, I haven't had that problem since then. Uh, Did you actually feel anything when they prayed for you, or did it just stop? I didn't feel anything. No, my heart just stopped. And the funny thing was, what happened after my heart stopped racing was it started to beat irregularly. Skipped beats and long, longer and shorter pauses. It was irregular the rest of the night for about three or four hours before I went to bed. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, my heart has never been irregular. Why is it, why is it beating irregularly? And he said, well, what makes you think you have the same heart? I, I'm not saying he did a heart transplant. No. But he did something at that point. In physically my heart, but also yeah. spiritually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because during that during that conference, so many amazing things happened. We we saw at that conference every day that we were there, literally two hundred people healed at least. Wow. Uh, to, Maybe three or four hundred. There were thousands of people there. Randy Clark was there. Bill Johnson was there. Who else was speaking? I'm trying to think. Um, Cal Pierce was there. He gave a message. This one pastor from down south in Tennessee gave a message about some angelic encounters that he had that were just just crazy. But when you see blind people being healed, you see people in wheelchairs getting up and walking, people throwing their crutches away, and people... Throwing, taking off their slings and immobilizers, and everything's healed. We saw hundreds and hundreds of people healed every day at the conference. That will do something to your mind, to your faith, to yeah. your spirit. You will you will not be the same person. Yeah. When you go away from a conference like that, where you see all this, all, uh, what God really wants to do. Yeah. I asked you if you felt anything when you actually prayed for. Was because I think it's important that. There's quite often this kind of misconception that if you pray for someone and they don't feel anything, they'll walk away and they'll go, oh, it didn't work. Right. Because they don't immediately, you know, fall over or, you know, feel heat or... Right. Oh, it didn't work. But but actually, you know, a lot many, of... People, many times there is a healing. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it's important for people to understand that so that if they don't immediately feel something, it doesn't kind of knock their face. You know, I've had people come back to me afterwards and, and say, oh, you know, when I went to the doctors, they couldn't find the lump anymore. <laughs> but when I prayed for them, they, you know, I walked away thinking, oh, that was a bit of a damp squib. Nothing that was it. That was a dud. I was thinking nothing much happened. You know, there was yeah. no eyes of angels or bolts of lightning or anything, and they didn't kind of go oh it felt hot or anything nothing and then they come back to me and say when I went for that checkup they couldn't find it anymore you know they couldn't they couldn't find the problem anymore or I went for my pre-op you know tests and stuff and they couldn't find the problem anymore you know but but they didn't feel anything at the time that is yeah that is actually very common Uh, I have done the same thing I've been able to follow up with some of the people that I prayed for like, um, I prayed for this one young lady at a gas station one day. She had carpal tunnel. She had the immobilizer on her wrist. And I prayed over her wrist, and I just commanded, you know, healing three or four times. Nothing happened. She didn't feel anything. She still had the pain when I left the gas station. And I said, well, you may not feel anything now, but you will. 
<laughs> because I had started to learn at that point that even if you don't feel anything happen at the time, it doesn't matter. And sure enough, I went back to the same gas station weeks later, and uh, she didn't have the immobilizer on. And I said, so where's your immobilizer? She looks at me and goes, I don't need it anymore. I got healed. <laughs> she, Even though she felt nothing at the time. I, it's quite common not to feel anything. But I have noticed that most people uh, will notice the pain or restriction or whatever. Usually 15 to 20 minutes later, they will start to notice something is changing. And sometimes it's the next day. Well, they'll go to bed, they'll wake up, and then all of a sudden, wow, that pain is gone. I can, I feel great. Yeah. Uh, maybe See, something really did happen. When I'm praying for strangers, I'm not genuinely with them for that amount of time, whereas you're usually kind of transporting the person, so you're with them for yeah. a long period of time, aren't you? But when, like, when you're on the street... Typically, though, I'm only with them for 10 or 15 minutes. Right. Okay. You know, this one little old lady that I prayed for, I, I was with her just long enough for her shoulder to get to manifest the healing. I prayed for a frozen shoulder... And it was... Was this the little Scottish lady in your book? No, 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 no. That was... I love (laughs) that. She was actually... She was the first person that I saw healed in the ambulance. Oh, right. Beautiful lady. I've forgotten that, but I just... Praising God, going into the emergency (laughs) department, (laughs) hands in the air, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! I'm healed! And I was like, <laughs> like Shh, keep it down. We're in a hospital. You can't do that. Uh, but I couldn't stop her. Yeah, that was that was crazy. No, she got healed immediately. As soon as I touched her, she said, what did you do to me? <laughs> I said, I, I, I touched you. I, and she goes, my leg is healed. I love it when they do that. Yes. But the, no, this, this was a little old lady who um, I was transporting her because... She was actually going to have a pacemaker put in, and she was being transferred to another hospital, and she had a frozen shoulder, and I prayed over her frozen shoulder. Nothing happened. And then about 10 or 15 minutes later, she was moving her arm uh, perfectly with no range of motion issues, and she, she was healed. But, that, yeah, that, that's kind of typical of the 10 to 15, 20-minute thing where if you don't stick around long enough, you're not going to see the healing manifest. But, yeah, many times they don't feel anything, and they're healed anyway. Tell me about the Supernatural Housewife. The Supernatural Housewife God gave me that title because I, I started writing down the stories of the, of the various kind of situations I've been in and things God has done over the years. And um, God just said, start writing them down. Start sharing the stories and I'll give you more. Because when a lot of these things were happening, most of them are from the stories I've written down are from kind of four, maybe five years ago. Um, and I didn't share most of them at the time because a lot of them were, I, I lived in quite a small town and a lot of the people might could have been identified at the time. And I was kind of uncomfortable as well with like making it into a sideshow as well. I kind of struggled with that a bit for a long time. So, you know, I, di- I didn't share most of what, what God was doing except just verbally, you know, with friends and stuff. And, and he said to me... Um, sort of late last time, start writing the stories down and I'll give you more. Because I've been through this this real period where there was a lot of stuff going on in our private lives and we had to relocate and there was all kinds of stuff going on like that. And so I'm like kind of talking to God about this and saying, you know, I want to be back in that place, God. I want to start moving in that and seeing it more again 
and he said start sharing the stories and I will give you more. So I started writing the books down and the working title I had to start with was so lame. It was like, oh, it's called Tales of Encouragement because I didn't know what else to call it. And I'm like, I don't know, what, you know, it was bad. Can I tell you about a dream that I had? Yeah, go on. Okay. All right. We all have friends who like to share their stories of healing on Facebook and things of that nature. And it can become a bit of a sideshow yeah. if, if you don't do it the, the right way. There's, I think there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. The Lord gave me this dream a few years ago. In the dream, I was helping to recreate the testimonies of people who had been healed miraculously. I was with a crew and we were filming and interviewing people who had been healed. We were preserving their testimonies because we knew that their testimonies had somehow been destroyed and God wanted every testimony to be recorded and stored so that people could have access to it. Uh In the dream, I came to an understanding that he values the testimony so highly. Even if we don't, the testimony to him is of great value. He wants them all preserved and recorded. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it is important for us to share the testimony. I think yeah. there's a way we can do it that honors him and yeah. doesn't lift up us up on a platform. No, exactly. Um, so I started. I just started writing them down and, and then... I think right at the beginning of this year, he just suddenly drops this... I don't know whether I was specifically talking to him about the title of the book. I can't remember how it happened, but it just suddenly dropped into my head, like the supernatural Supernatural housewife. And I was like, that's brilliant, because that's what I am, really, isn't it? That is brilliant. (laughs) I'm not clever enough. I think I messaged you at the time and went, I'm not clever enough to think about that. I'm like... You, you did message me, and I thought, wow, that is brilliant. Yeah, and and interestingly enough, that's the only reason. Um, I did an interview on Touch by Prayer recently, and the only reason for that is because she saw you say something about the supernatural housewife, and it connected with something someone had spoken to her a number of years ago, and she thought, I need to talk to that lady. <laughs> That's the only reason that happens. I would well. I know how Lisa can talk, and I know how you can talk. So, yeah. Let's just say we talked for a lot longer than went out on the interview. Leave it at that. <laughs> We've probably got several hundred hours more footage since. <laughs> she's not always recording, obviously. Yes. Yes. Um. So, I just started writing them down, and then as it developed, I was like, "So, what's the?" point of the stories you know how am I going to wrap the stories up and 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 he showed me to actually put like um a step-by-step breakdown of what happened afterwards I I ran it past you didn't I yes (laughs) useful man um like step-by-step like okay so here's what I did here's why I did it you know even if the why I did it sometimes it's just like well because I saw someone else do it last week and it worked you know it's not always that deep um, and, and then um, as it developed, he said, um, put, um, I just saw a picture in my head one day of like um, a kickstart guide in the middle and it's got a like a real quick do this, do that, you know, put your hand there, ask for permission, put your hand on their shoulder, 
if it's in a personal area, you know, you can get them to lay their hand on it and then you lay your hands on top. It's like really, really basic stuff right. that you would do if you were there doing a kind of beginner's equipping uh, workshop. And it's and it's in the middle of the book, so it's like a handy reference thing. Uh, so far, the people that have, have read it are, are like, I'm getting really good feedback. That You've gotten some really good feedback on the book so far. It's really helped some people understand yeah, how this works. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of It was kind of written to me like... In 2008, <laughs> what did I need to know in 2008? Let's write that, you know. And if, only... if I if I knew then what I know now, this is what yeah. I would tell you. How yeah. to do it. I, like I want I want them to get it kind of quicker than I did, really. That's um, what it is. It's about bringing people up the curve faster. We all had to, you know, slog our way through this uncomfortably, not having a lot of good role models, not having some, you know, good explanation of how to do this and now we can take that information and the process and give it to other people and say look it took me a year to figure this out you can read this and figure it out in 20 minutes exactly. and not through all the pain yeah, and, the, yeah. and I deliberately left as much um, sort of I kept theology out of it as much yeah. as I possibly can because yeah. a that's not my job there are people that are far better equipped than I am to explain <laughs> you why this works just take my word for it it works and run with it you know and worry about the theology afterwards um i don't and i don't i wouldn't want anyone to read the book and think oh well of course she she understands all kinds of things that i don't because really i don't uh have you been to bible college or seminary nope so you nope. don't have any official qualifications to do it? No official qualifications. I don't have a little collar. I've never been to a Bible college. In fact, I suspect I wouldn't last five minutes even if they let me in in the first place. Because I'm too. I'd be just like. Yeah. You are a very average, ordinary person who I, I, happens to know an extraordinary God. In, exactly. Yeah. And and I said in, in the um, intro to the book, you know, this this book is not about my ability to perform spiritual gymnastics. I'm no spiritual giant. This is about my God and what he'll do through you. If you just, you know, you just believe. The, the disciples didn't have, they didn't have a, a canon of 66 books that we've got. They would have been taught um, Jewish scriptures up until about the age of about 10, I think. All little boys were taught, weren't they? And then, um, then if they showed flair, then they'd go on to study under a, a rabbi, is what I understand it. So they all had a right. sort of basic grounding you know, right. um, but they didn't know what we know now. They didn't know. If you think about it, the disciples, when they first started seeing people healed and, and moving in the things of the Spirit, they didn't even, they, what, they didn't, there had been no crucifixion, much less for them to understand. The, the scary thing is, if you read Matthew 12, where Jesus chooses the disciples, Yeah. Okay, he chooses the 12 disciples and then immediately sends them out to do miracles without any training as far as we know is written in the, in the <laughs> dialogue. Yeah, I mean, he just told them look I'm giving you power and authority I want you to go out into the cities I want you to lay hands on the sick raise the dead cast out demons because I told you to yeah they did they knew that God was in a good mood they might have right. seen Jesus do one or two miracles you know I think they had seen him do a few miracles but they had no I don't think they had any formal training at that point no. Yeah. They watched and they and they did. That's all I did in the early days. It was the same for me. I mean, I was fortunate. I was able to, you know, I, I did read some books. I read John Wimber's book, Power Healing, and I 
watched a lot of Todd White videos because I had to have some kind of like, well, you I, know, I, I, I knew that the Lord wanted me to pray for people to be healed, but I didn't know what that looked like. I, re- I read a few books and I watched a few videos and a friend of mine did a particularly instructive one where he grew someone's leg out in Walmart and they caught it really well on camera. Yeah. I think you know the friend I'm talking about, but he's yeah. not in the public eye anymore. Yeah. Um, not at this point. Um, and and that I watched that video and went, well, that's easy then, isn't it? And that afternoon, I went to my parents' place. There was a guy there laying tiles, um, or putting tiles on the wall, I think. And he <laughs> he just stood there in my mum's kitchen. And my mum was very cagey about all that kind of stuff at, at this point. She's, she's, she's more on board with it now, in her own quiet way. And he just started pouring out all this medical detail to me. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't know why you're doing this, do you? Well, I think I do. And he'd got a problem with his leg. And my mum was kind of looking at me, and I'm shooting her a look that says, um, you know what I'm going to do in a minute. I know you're not comfortable with it, so you can just leave the room, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's fine, but I am going to do this. And I prayed for his leg, um, and when I, like his ankle or something, I think it was, and when I stood up, he went, I feel really weird. I feel really strange. I said, what, like, kind of like you had a bit too much to drink? And he went, yeah. And I said, well, that's Holy Spirit, that's fine, don't worry about it. And he said, but I'm an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> Not now, are you? He started saying he got a problem with his back as well, and I sat him down in the chair and checked his legs and, and sorted his, um, he had a short leg. That that got grown out and sorted his back out. Uh, but that was the first time I did it, and I did it because I'd seen a very simple video. Made just, it just made it, you're like, well, that's easy, I can do that. First time I did it, it happened, and I've never seen it not happen. I have never grown anybody's leg out yet. What? I know. that's It's a bit strange. I, I think I did it once on a Skype call. I was on the Inside Out Training and Equipping call. There were, it was a healing thing. And Cheryl Fritz invited me to be on the call. And we were praying for people. And one woman uh, on the call had uh, hip and back pain. And Cheryl said, okay, we're going to have praying medic pray for this lady. She's, Cheryl basically led us through this whole thing. She said, okay, look, look at your feet. Put your, sit in a chair. Put your feet out. You know, look at the length. And she said, well, my, it looks like my one leg is about an inch and a half shorter than the other one. So at that point, I got the honor of trying to grow her leg out. Well, I've never that, done it long distance, so you've got one on me there. That's the only one I've ever done of the probably 10,000 people that I've seen healed in the last eight years. I've never grown anyone's leg out in person. I've tried a couple of times, but it's never happened. But I usually, I usually just deal with back and hip pain with just having them stand there and I just pray over them and they get healed that way. It never occurs to me to have them sit down and measure their legs. I, I, that's just not, that was just not how, how I was trained how to do it because most of my my people that I pray for, they're sitting in an ambulance on a gurney. Exactly, yeah. So I can't have them sit in a chair. And I, I, no, mean, no, I, could, I could measure their leg length, but... It's something that's easy for, to facilitate in the back of an ambulance hurtling down the road, is it? Well, really? yes. I just, I just say, look, I'm just going to put my hand here and I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I believe God's going to heal you. And that's, that's typically how it happens. But it, 
because that was one of the very first real, really tangible things I saw happen, I guess it stuck with me. I mean, I've checked people that say they've got back pain. I will usually check their legs if I've got the opportunity. And sometimes you check and they're fine. Right. That's not part of the problem. And then we just carry on and pray for them anyway. Right. Um, but when, the, when there is a short leg, I've never actually seen it not happen. That's amazing. I love that. And I guess... <laughs> I love the fact that, that early success. I've got strong faith for it. I don't know. But. <laughs> you do. Your your faith for growing out legs is probably like my faith for uh, torn rotator cuffs and frozen shoulders. Probably. Probably. In, in the last five or six years, I've probably prayed for two or three hundred frozen shoulders and torn rotator cuffs, and I may have seen one or two that were not healed. But almost all of them are healed. I just, I don't know. I have this absolute... If I lay hands on you for that shoulder, that thing's going to be healed. I don't even question or doubt it. It's a potato cuff. Let me add it. (laughs) (laughs) I would literally walk up to people in the grocery store and say, oh, you have a torn rotator cuff. Well, if you let me pray for you, God's going to heal you. And people would ask me, like, wow, aren't you giving them false hope? What if they're not healed? Well, that would be cool, except just about everybody is healed when when I say that. And it's not the magic of me saying the words. It's just my faith my trust that God's going to heal that person is just coming out in my words. I just know that God's going to heal that person. Yeah. Uh, I, I like your book. Your book is a little bit like my books, uh, My Craziest Adventures with God. In, in my books, I tell the stories of how I see people healed in addition to sh- telling exactly where I place my hand, what words I said, yes. what the Lord was showing me through words of knowledge or visions. That's, that's what I like about your book. Um, it makes the miraculous simple it doesn't have to be this long theological no exactly it doesn't and and i have trained people in five minutes right right and a couple of weeks ago i did a equipping weekend um and like that we had like equipping in the morning and then we went and did an outreach in the afternoon and um they kind of got me in to do the healing segment and i literally had like 20 minutes And I was like, okay, right. So have we got someone here who has never laid hands on someone for healing in a kind of public setting before, you know? And this one lady kind of put her hand up, looked a bit timid. I was like, would you mind being our trainee? So she came up to the front and then I said, right, ideally, well, not ideally, but, you know, do we have someone here with back pain? Because you are going to come across a lot of people with back pain. Yep. And the lady put her hand up and we got her out the front and they all just came, like the rest of them came and watched. And this lady had never, she didn't even know what I was going to do. The trainee or the guinea pig didn't know. They'd not, not seen her leg grow out before, but we checked her legs and sure enough, they were about, one was about an inch or so short. Um, and I just quickly said to, to the trainees, like, okay, so put your hands under the ankles you know, be careful that you're you're kind of resting. I'm always like really careful that the ankles are resting on my arm so that they can't think that I pulled the leg or, you know, there's no suggestion that I'm pulling them, you know. Right. Make sure they're comfortable. And then just said, right, okay, now just command that leg to grow out in Jesus' name. And she was like, um, I said, literally, just, just say that. <laughs> just do that. <laughs> she did that. And the leg grew and she's going, <laughs> like, you know, wide-eyed. And then um, the lady had kind of um, pain higher up in her back that was caused by the back problem as well. So we, we stood her up and she checked out her legs and said, 
she kind of felt looser and you know all that and uh, then I got her I said right okay so now she's got pain in her shoulder we'll run through quickly what you do there and you know and she put her hand on the shoulder and commanded the pain to leave and the pain left I carried on teaching just kind of saying you know had the pain been on a hip or somewhere personal then we'd have done it slightly different way I'm sort of looking at the rest of the class not looking at what's going on with the trainee and the uh, and the uh, patient if you like right. um, and this this lady suddenly she went down <laughs> and not a catcher uh, no, did anyone know to catch her or she just yeah, went down yeah, yeah. they just about got a chair behind her kind of thing and caught her just in time she just suddenly went oh you know <laughs> And I just looked at my trainee and said, and you did that. I was nowhere near her. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you, just the same as it does in me. And she's going, yeah. 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 I didn't get to take that lady out in the afternoon, unfortunately, because she could only attend the morning. So I just kind of went, have a book. Everything you just learned is in that book. Go and read it. Well, are you – now, I I know that you're having these little – uh, teaching groups. If there's somebody who lives in the area uh, and wants to get together with you and learn uh-huh. what's going on, they can they can contact you through your website, which is the Supernatural Housewife dot site s i t e. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, I'm doing I'm, I do Skype sessions for people that are further away, either for ministry or if they want to you know have a bit of extra training. That's great too. Um, in terms of local, if there's anyone that's actually local to me, um, we are just in the process of um, finding a room to meet in once a week. In oh, that's that's awesome. That would be helpful. Kind of accidental church, really. I offered to meet with one lady <laughs> to um, just share with her about the love of God, you know. Um, and she was like, "Oh, you know, I don't, I don't really want to go to a church." And I said, "Well." Church doesn't have to be in a building, you know. I meet with people on Skype and stuff, and all the time. I said, but you, she lives locally, so I said, but you and I could just go for a coffee, and do you want to do that, you know? Yeah. She said, oh yeah, yeah. And quite often you have that conversation, and then they don't turn up. Well, this lady turned up, and at the end of the first week, she said, "Can we do it again next week?" Okay. So we did it again the next week, and then she said, "Same time next week." Okay. I get the picture. We're now into week four, I think. You know, and this week for the first time I actually, she got, on week three I um, spoke to her, um, you know, she's going through some stuff in her personal life at the moment and she kind of said, is this ever going to get better, you know? And I said, yes, it will, but there's one thing we can do that will speed things up, you know? took her on one side and said, you know, if you decide that you believe in Jesus, it's a good idea to actually, like, invite him to you know, give your life to him, invite him to be part of your life, however you want to phrase that. Um, you know, and I said, so there's, we can pray together now if you like. And she looked at me and said, oh, um, I actually did that last week after what you said to me. It just <laughs> like the right thing to do. I was like, brilliant. We're all running, you know. So it's like, God's just doing this thing. Okay. meeting in this public coffee shop, but there's a limit to what you can do in a public there is a limit, but you know that is what group. that is making disciples. Yeah, and a lot of people have a difficult time understanding this. The modern church 
has gotten this idea that our goal is to convert as many people as we can to Christianity. When Jesus said, go out and make disciples, you can go to a, a stadium full of 10,000 people and have them come forward at an altar call and give their life to Jesus, and yeah. you just made 10,000 converts. You haven't made one disciple. No. It, there's nothing wrong with getting people to make a commitment to Jesus, but when you follow up with people who make a commitment to Jesus, three or four years later, many of them are not walking with the Lord. They have completely disavowed God. There is no fruit in their life. But when you get together with people one-on-one, -on -one, teach them about the kingdom, teach them about God, teach them about power and authority, teach them about spiritual warfare, that's making disciples. Mm -hmm. Those people go on to bear fruit. They go on to do amazing things. Their life gets transformed. Yeah. And that's what we need to be about. And I it's think. so fun because it, it's actually not something you get, it's not something you have to do, it's something you get to watch. It is. It's totally something you get to watch. It's, you, you, get to, you get to sort of answer questions and explain how the Lord does things in your life. Yeah. But they, if you do this the way Jesus has sort of set up a model, they get to start doing this stuff, and they get to start having fun. And then the dreams and prophetic revelation and the words of knowledge, and they're just exploding with all these things that are happening to them. Yeah. And you get to sit back and watch. This, it's so... um, this week was the first week that I actually got a Bible out, you know, in the coffee shop and said, right, I you could start looking at this this week, you know. And she was like, oh, you know, I gave her a quick rundown of, of what the Bible is, you know. Little, tiny little bit of history, just real bite-sized stuff. Right. And literally just, I went for Mark's Gospel purely because it gets straight into Jesus' teaching. You know, it's like, let's not get tangled up with... She, she's been in church, been in churches, so she knows about the virgin birth and all that right. kind of... Let's right. get into the meat of the, of the thing here. So I just literally gave her a little tiny bit, you know, Jesus, Jesus starts his ministry with the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The good news in that sentence is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've complicated this thing big time. But the beautiful thing is this lady doesn't have any of that tanglement. I said to her, we'll get into what the word repent means in a minute because it probably doesn't mean what you think. And she said, I don't know what repent means. I was like, thank you. Well, most that makes my most job theologians fun. don't know what repent means either, but that's no, but they know the point. No, they know what they think it means. You know, I was kind of ready to have the whole, it's, you know, it's not about screaming and crying on your face and going, oh God, I'm really sorry. You know, repent means turn around, change your mind, change the way you think. But right. she's like, and, and I just kind of did a real little bite-sized thing with her not to overload her. Then I started chatting with her husband. He comes with her as well. He's not, quite so on board but he's happy to join in so that's fine so I just started chatting with him general chat you know and she leaned over the table and said excuse me can I have that a minute took the bible off me and carried on reading <laughs> that's awesome. and then was saying can I can I get one the same as yours where can I get one the same as yours so I'm reading the same as you so when I ask a question you know I'll we'll know what page we're on and, and you know all this kind of stuff that's and lovely it was awesome. And then she's texting me afterwards going, I'm really sorry, that was rude, wasn't it? Taking your book away from you. I'm like, no, listen, you take the book away from me any time you like. That was glorious. You know, that was 
brilliant and it's it's so fun so yeah we're literally just in the process of looking for um, a room that we can use maybe one evening a week locally um just to, to start facilitating that sort of thing but i have no doubt that other people will join um so if anyone was listening and they are i'm in um west norfolk in the uk so if anyone happens to be listening and they think they want to kind of find out what we're doing the best thing to do would be to just send me an email for, through the website and i'll put a link to the website in the podcast notes yeah, so they yeah. can get hold of you yeah or they can find you on facebook if they're on facebook they can find me on facebook if you just search for the supernatural housewife it will pop up yep you know and now if it's all right i would like to segue into alterations of time <laughs> because you have had some interesting revelation about how God is allowing us to experience time differently. Yeah, um, I guess the first time I really noticed it was uh, about 18 months ago. Um, I was expecting, I had to make a call at like 9am I think, um, and I was kind of just sorting some stuff out in the kitchen and you know and I thought oh I've got I've got 10 minutes I can you know put the dishwasher on and stuff and I was kind of keeping an eye on time because I knew that this person that I was calling had a really short window that I could get hold of him in it was important so I was kind of watching half watching the clock and, and kind of doing some bits and then I kind of got carried away and I ended up taking a load of laundry upstairs and folding it away and you know and then kind of after a little while thought oh, what time is it um and I kind of looked at the kitchen clock and it still said about 10 to 9. And I thought, oh, the clock stopped. Right, I, because you would, you? 10 or 15 minutes at least should have passed. 10, 15, maybe 20 even. I, I mean, I'd got thoroughly carried away. I'd gone out to the garage and put some stuff in the dryer. I'd come back in. I'd folded the load and put it away. I can't remember what else I'd done, but, you know, it was... And I, so time stood still there for a while. Yeah, I thought the kitchen clock had stopped. So I ran into the lounge quick and checked the one on the mantel, and that still said 10 to 9 as well. And I was like, what? You just entered the twilight zone. <laughs> I, was like, I was completely like, what was that, you know? And then I, I thought, well, I've still got another 10 minutes. So I carried on and put something else out in the garage or whatever. And as I'm kind of moving around, God says, well, I did tell you, didn't I, that if you gave me your time, I'd multiply it. Now, you get to unpack what it means to give God your time. Well, five years ago or thereabouts, probably, in a, in a church meeting, we were singing um, How Great Is Our God. And it gets to the chorus, the chorus, but there's a one point where it says time is time is in his hands. Right. Yeah. Yes. I um, hate to tell you this, but there's a glory cloud in your room. Is there? I have no, I, I didn't want to say this because I wasn't sure, but your hand is almost invisible to me. Move it to the left. Yes. There is something obscuring your hand. It's like it's in a mist of cloud or vapor. How long has that been going on for? The whole time we've been talking. It's like I can see your face is clear, but all around you there is a cloud of like like a glory cloud around you. I like, <laughs> I like to these things. Yeah, now it's disappearing. Your hand is. Right. I don't know what that is. It's strange. 
Anyway, I've never seen that before on Skype. So you're going through How Great Is Our God, and it says time is in his hands. It's beginning in the end. Yep. Normally I would sing it to you, but the tune has escaped me. No, no, no. That's okay. Anyway, yeah, but I like singing. Anyway, and as we sing this lyric, God says, give me your time and I will multiply it like I did the little boy's lunchbox. And I wrote it down. I've got it on a journal somewhere. So when God says, give me your time, do you think that means more prayer? Oh, in terms of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wasn't seeing it like that. Yeah. So I had this in this meeting and I wrote it down. And the person that was speaking that day got up to speak afterwards. I wrote it down on my journal. She gets up and she said, I wasn't going to talk about this today, but I really feel like God wants me to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And my friend that was sitting next to me had seen me write this down about the little boy's lunch. <laughs> looking at me going, I'm like, this stuff happens around me. What can I tell you? Um, oh, yeah, I can see it now. That can is- you see it now? Yeah. Do you know, something else commented on it the other day, but I thought, when, when I was talking to the other person, I was sitting with, like, bright light coming in from the left, which was... <clears throat> it but I'm not here I've got light coming straight onto me you know kind of equally so I don't know what that is but it's been there the whole time yeah it would be right across the, okay whatever um, so the woman next to you her mouth drops open she was like but nothing specific else happened in that meeting nothing you know just it's just God talking to me and he, he kind of confirmed what he's just said through the speaker and it's just it's just fun so I'd completely forgotten about this until about 18 months ago when this time stoppage or time travel or whatever it was happened. And while I'm kind of going, God says, I did tell you I'd do that, didn't I? And you could have knocked me down with a feather because I had completely forgotten about it. And like you say, I, I had kind of thought about it after he said it, obviously, and I just... I don't know, there's a lesson in this. Actually stop and think about what God is saying to you. Don't assume you know. You know, right. you've got right. a paradox for it. I was like, oh, I need to spend more time praying. and I need to spend more time, you know. and I need Fasting to and praying and on your knees and worshipping. Yeah. All of that stuff. And all of those things can be good. And I know if, if you have a gift for spending hours on your knees, go for it. I, you know... <laughs> I don't have it. You you have a lot of children who need your time. I have a lot of children who need my time. I have a husband. I have a dog. I have things to do, and I just don't have that kind of mind. You know, you're a lot like my wife. She she sometimes remarks, you know, how do people actually have the time to spend, you know, 17 hours a day in worship and praise, and and prayer and all this stuff? Don't they have a life? Don't they have bills to pay? Don't they have people they have to connect with and appointments and things they have to do she says i don't understand how people can like give up most of their life just to sit there and be in god's presence and do nothing else she she doesn't get that secret theory that quite a lot of people don't (laughs) you're going about your average supernatural housewife life i'm just and it just starts happening and and but then i kind of realized that you know i had i had thought that it meant you know doing all those kind of religious things, praying more, you know, meditating more, all that kind of stuff. But actually, the context in which it first happened, 
the the phone call that I had to make was actually a ministry phone call. Uh-huh. So I was giving him my time. Were you going to be doing some counselling with this? Uh, uh, no, it, it was a call to organise um, some preaching dates, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Related call and to get some feedback for some stuff that I've been praying with this guy for his church and, you know, that kind of phone call. Not um, not specifically ministering to a need, per se. Right. Um, right. And then since then, it's just kind of happened. It happened again the other day by about three or four minutes. I put something on my page about it, didn't I? You did. And again, I had a, I had an appointment to, so I was aware of time. That's the other thing. I was aware of a timetable. So, you know, is, is it actually happening at other times, and I'm just not realising? It does seem to happen when you're aware of time. I had one of those experiences driving to work a couple of years ago. It was actually the first day of school when school went back in in September here, I was driving to work and I was aware of time because I had left the house later than I normally would. I had forgotten about some things I had to do and I had to get them done before I went to work. So I left the house three or four minutes later than I normally would. And as I was driving my car, I kept looking at the clock on the dashboard and it wasn't changing. It stayed the same time. Yeah, you were looking because you were thinking, I've got to get there. I've got, to, I've get got there. to get to work. I have to get to work. And then I have to go through school zones, which up until that day I, wasn't a big deal. But the first day yeah. of school, now I have to stop and wait for kids going across and you have to slow down and all that stuff, which is going to make me even more delayed. So mm-hmm. I was more concerned about time. But as I looked at the clock, it wasn't moving. I drove probably four or five miles and the clock froze. It didn't move at all. And I would thought that something's wrong with the clock on my car, so I pulled out my yeah. phone, and it had the same time. Yeah. Time had just stopped. <laughs> yeah. That's when I was first aware that God was doing something with time. Now, you're, now, Peter started to notice some other things that when I heard that, then the penny dropped for me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I've seen this happen so many times. Yeah. And it never clicked for me. We, were on a, we went on a shopping trip. It was only um, two or three months ago. We went on this shopping trip into the city, and we got kind of, it was like Saturday morning, late morning, you know. It was, I think it was Easter weekend as well, so it was always going to be busy. Um, and we got to a certain point outside the kind of, the main city area and the, all the traffic kind of slows right down doesn't it you know and me being a bit you know miserable said oh here we go it starts you know all the queuing and all of it I'm not a big fan of going into the city for shopping really it's not my thing and uh, Peter just says no it will be fine that's all he said or words to that effect but you know it wasn't a big kind of I'm decreeing that you know he's not that kind of a guy and um, he just went, no, it'll be fine. And the traffic started to move again. And sure enough, we've got all the way into the city centre, straight into the multi-storey car park, um, without any problems at all, no delays, no nothing. I think we hit one one red light for like a minute, you know. But there was no queuing, no nothing. When we came out of the car park, we kind of parked, got a ticket, walked back out the way you come out of that one the same place that the cars are coming in so within a a couple of minutes of parking our car and coming out there's a queue of of cars kind of 
going round the corner. And you're like, okay, we hit that just right then, didn't we, you know? And then carried on and we were doing shopping and, and my daughter was buying shoes and things and, you know, so then you've got to, like, go and try things on. And every shop we went in, there'd be, like, a really big queue because Easter weekend here, I don't know about over there, but over here it's a big you know, a lot of people like So there's a lot of lines of people and you expect you're going to have to wait. Big queues for the ladies changing rooms. You know what women's changing rooms are like anyway. Yes. But it was yes. like a really busy day. There's never anyone outside the men's changing rooms. Have you noticed? No, I have noticed that. Always the guy. Because a, a, a guy will look at a shirt, pick it up and just take so, it yeah, to the register and pay for it. Not collar. try it on, but you, you ladies have to try everything on. So Men just go, that's my collar size. That'll be <laughs> fine. So they're like big queues and you're thinking, oh, really? Do you really need to try that on? And they just disappeared. Like one minute there'd be a big queue and then you'd kind of go, oh, okay, well, I'll hold that and that. You wait there. We'll go in the changing rooms. And you'd look up again and you'd just... Everyone disappeared. Just walk straight into the changing rooms. And then when we come out, there's a big queue again. Right. Like five or six ladies waiting. But it was Peter that noticed it first. And that, that kind of makes it more more impressive in my mind because you know I'm the one that's going oh look there's a rainbow and then there was a cloud in the shape of a unicorn and it's a sign you know I'm right. the I'm the kind of flaky prophetic one <laughs> <laughs> he's an engineer he likes facts and you know right he's right. that kind of person so he kind of went have you noticed this he said when I said we weren't going to get cues on the way in didn't he, he said then we're not and I kind of said did you do it on purpose and he kind of he went oh yeah it was kind of a you know it was a it was a statement it it wasn't a hoping for the best thing it was a statement of faith and, and that kind of that kind of got in my head like it's like a little worm in my brain for a few days we went to lunch and we decided we were going to go to this kind of american dinery place that looked nice and it's it's busy because it's popular so we went and you know went to get a table and the and the waitress says oh it'd be about 10 minute wait for a table is that okay and we're like yeah that's fine that's not too bad you know and she left us with some menus to look at while we waited and we're just standing there waiting she came back inside of about a minute and a half but she didn't say oh it's all right i found a table so i'm not sure if she realized what i don't know what went on there it was like okay she came back and i thought she was going to say would you like a drink while you're waiting or something <laughs> follow me I'm like, okay then. What happened to the 20 minute wait? Yeah, or 10, 15, whatever it was she said, but it certainly wasn't. It was like a minute or so, probably. I hadn't got as far as reading the dessert section on the menu, put it that way, you know. Well, when I heard your story about this, (laughs) oh my gosh, the penny dropped for me. Because I distinctly remember a couple of events just in the last month when something very similar to that happened. We have um, we have these large uh, mega stores here called Costco in the states. Yeah, yeah. Everyone goes there, and the lines can be terribly long. Uh, the queue, I guess you would say, over there yeah. across the pond. I remember one Saturday morning going to Costco to buy some things, and as I came in the entrance, I looked over to my right, and the lines were <laughs> just incredibly long, and I thought. I don't even want to go in here. Maybe I'll come back tomorrow because, or next week because there's so there were so many people in the store, and I thought this is not a good time. But 
then that thought was quickly replaced by a different thought. I said, well, maybe the lines will be long, shorter when I get over there and I actually have my stuff. Well, sure enough, I didn't need to get very much. Picked up a few things, took my cart right to the line, and as soon as I headed toward the checkout stands, there was nobody there. <laughs> there were no lines at all. I walked right up, put my things on the conveyor belt, yep. paid it, and left. And I was like, what happened? Like, literally five or ten minutes ago, this place was packed, long lines of people, and I walked right over with my cart and paid. Then, yesterday, Denise and I went out to lunch. Mm-hmm. And... uh we walked into this restaurant. We've never been in there before. We just thought we'd go there, you know, once and see how the food is. It's a couple miles from our house. We go in. Uh, it's lunchtime. They're fairly busy. There are lines of people in front of us who are sitting and waiting for a table. So we're thinking, oh, this is not so good. It's lunchtime. It's it's a new place. It's busy. Yeah. Uh, the lady says, it's going to be about 20 minutes. Can I take your name? I said, sure. This is, you know, just get me a table for Dave for two. She said, okay. She talks to a fellow, and she says, hey, what, what do we have for tables right now? And the guy says, oh, we just opened up another section. And she turns to me and says, okay, follow him. He'll take you to your table. <laughs> so we went right in and sat down, and, and no wait at all. Everybody else was – there were actually people who had put in a reservation before us. They were still sitting there. They just took us right to a table and sat us. <laughs> We just have started to notice <laughs> that these things where you expect this wait, yeah. the wait just doesn't happen. That's you get it. seated. You the, the line is gone. It's just like God has just opened up a door where you would normally now have to waste 10, 15, 20 minutes or an hour. And it's like God is giving you favor to maximize your time to get you right in and get in and out and do what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. And people don't think about that being a way in which God can manipulate time, but he is he really is helping you make the most of your time. He, he created time, so I'm trying to move it around a bit, but I I want to I want to just touch on something here cause, Okay. Um the 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 fact that Peter just kind of just went there won't be any cues, it'll be fine, you know, just don't worry about it. It wasn't a big dramatic there it is again. Look. That thing. Um, <laughs> the cloud. I was experimenting with it now. Um, <laughs> he's a very quiet man. He's, you know, he's got he's got a, a face, but he, he's not particularly loud about it. You know, one of us needs to be quiet, I guess. It, it's not, it's not <laughs> just not, you know. Um, and I was like, the number of times I've driven to work, God, since I kind of got that God could manipulate time, the number of times that I've been late for work, like like you were that time and kind of gone oh you know and I'm driving down the road going god I thank you that you own time and you can stretch time and it's going to be fine and I'm not going to be late and I fall in the door at the last minute but I've driven down the road in total faith that my clock is going to stop or it's going to go backwards or their clock's going to have stopped or something you know I, I was never late enough for it to be a problem but you know you're like kind of why? What, what's the deal there, God? You know, I'm supposed to be the, the supernatural housewife, the one that's full of faith and, you know, kind of rah. Why? Why not? And I was just going off to sleep one night and God says this. And I was, I was just, that's why I was looking at my phone just now, because I was looking back. I wrote it down quickly before I didn't forget, before I forgot. 
God says, the difference between success and failure in decrees and prayer of that nature, or, or prayer of any, any kind, I guess, one thinks that the facts are there to be bent. The other realises that the desired outcome is already a fact. Aha. Uh -huh. And that <laughs> my mind, and it's still, it's been like, keeps coming back to me and going away again and coming back for like two or three months. Because what, what Peter did, he already, and I've talked to him about it, I said, would you say that's a fair, and he was like, yeah, actually, that's exactly what, how it was in my mind, that it was like, he wasn't kind of going, it will be fine, I'm using my authority, Urgh. you know, he just went, he knew it was fact in that moment. He had a knowing. But does, you know, it, his knowing is what created the outcome. It did. That will, that will fry your brains, won't it? It, it, it will fry your brains, particularly uh, if you're not used to the idea that... And, and I, I, I took a little bit of criticism from some woman uh, this week because she said I took this verse of Scripture out of context. But where Jesus said, as a man thinks in his heart... So he is. Mm -hmm. All right. Jesus was quoting a proverb. Yeah. Uh, but what, what Jesus was saying was, as a man thinks in his heart, as he believes his own life and his own situation to be, that is what he experiences. Yeah. The experiences of your life come from what you believe to be true in your heart about yourself and about your world around you. Mm -hmm. You tend to sort of create yeah. the environment that you live in. Yeah. Okay. In this book that I'm writing on traveling in the spirit, uh -huh. when you read both New Agers who astral project yes. and Christians who are translated by faith, uh -huh. although it is a different mechanism, which yeah. I, will ex I explain that in the book, what the different mechanism looks like. But both experiences are guided and determined by what you believe and what you think. So the reason why some people go into the throne room of heaven and meet with Jesus and have these discussions with him mm -hmm. is because they believe in their heart and they know that's where they're going to be going when they travel. And that determines their destination. Yeah, I'm just listening to you thinking, wait, I might have done that. When you... <laughs> That's why my face went a bit, oh! When you think in your heart, in your spirit, that you are going to go and visit a friend who needs healing, yeah. and all of a sudden you show up in their house in the spirit, and you're praying over them in tongues, mm -hmm. and then shoo, you're back in your body. Yeah. Okay, those experiences are determined by what you're believing and thinking in your spirit, in your heart, what is going to happen. Spiritual travel is determined by what you're thinking and believing. And everything in the kingdom is like that. Whether it is healing or alteration of time, you, Peter knew, he had a knowing in his spirit that everything was going to work out fine. And yeah. it did work out fine because his faith pulled on the power of God to make that outcome happen. 
it it used yeah. the supernatural power of the kingdom to manifest what he believed in his heart. As he thought in his heart, so it was. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get more, more simple than that. It's gloriously simple and yet difficult to understand all at once. For the natural mind, it's very hard for the natural mind to understand. Because yeah. we think, our natural mind thinks, well... I have to do certain things, or I have to manipulate certain things, or I have to pray prayers, or I have to thank God, or I have to fast and and do all this other stuff. I have to do things to make something manifest in my life. And it's really not all that much about doing, as much as it is about knowing who you are, knowing who God is, and trusting that he has the ability and the desire to change things. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about that and how it intersects with what I've learned because what, what he's taught me about, um, certainly on the subject of, we've, we're getting in, I'm going to get into multiplication now, we'll be here for hours, but um, it, it does apply with the time thing as well, is that, that Jesus talks about if you take what you have and you invest it, mm-hmm. you get more. Right. And, when God said to me, if you give me your time, I will multiply it. When I'm giving my time, and I'm not walking around going, oh God, I'm giving you my time, you know. I just have developed this awareness that actually time is not mine, it's his. You've surrendered your time to his control. Yeah, but not in a kind of super spiritual, right. you know, I just, I just right. kind of like, it's God's, and I kind of acknowledge that, and I've days where I don't acknowledge it so much and other days where I'm more kind of aware of what I'm doing but the times when time has multiplied if you like or I've time travelled or however you want to want to say it are not times when I'm aware I'm aware of the time but I'm not actively thinking God is going to multiply my time I'm just getting on and I'm using what I have so there's that angle to it as well you're using what you had um, and I'm not going to tell the whole story now because we're going to be into like two hours plus of podcast here. But <laughs> that's a, no, no, no. That's okay. We can go as long as we want. People, people will like this. Uh, a few years ago, I um, had. I'm going to write a book about this as well before long. But um, here's a sneak preview. I had an experience where God multiplied chocolate buttons on a cake. Chocolate buttons on a cake. Yep, I was decorating a cake, and the, the the weeks before that, I'd been talking to God about the kingdom, and you know, there's no lack in the kingdom of heaven, and you know, He'd been showing, He kept showing me. I'm I'm like, how does it work? In the you know, if 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 heaven is here and now, and we're in it, you know, in some respects, we're in heaven now. Heaven is meant to manifest now. So how does that work? You know, with my husband, who at that point hadn't had a pay rise for eight years. And I kept giving him more and more responsibility without the increase to go with it, you know. And and, and another friend who was going through really bad stuff with him, with an um, employment tribunal at the time and all kinds of things. I'm like, how does that work? Why, you know, I don't want to just get up and preach a good preach about something. I want to see it in action and, and I want reality. And God kept showing me him, he kept showing me Jesus breaking the bread. And, and the multiplication thing kept like, and, and then he had me, he was like, make a cake. Just randomly make a cake. And so I made a cake. <laughs> and, and, but nothing kind of, you know, it wasn't kind of connecting in my brain. And then one day I was decorating a birthday cake. 
and um, I had the cake and I got pink like chocolate buttons to put around the outside. I just decided that's what I was going to do, that I was going to put icing on this birthday cake and then put buttons around the outside of it. And I tipped the buttons out into a um, bowl and I was talking to God as I was doing it and I was getting quite frustrated about this whole kingdom of heaven thing and the last thing I said to him was, show me how to manifest the kingdom of heaven right here in these four walls. End of conversation. Carried on icing my cake. And I put the icing on, tipped the, the buttons out into a, a glass bowl to start putting them on. And I, I tipped them out and I thought, ah, oh, there's not going to be, that doesn't look like there's going to be enough. And then I thought, well, I'll, I'll space them out more than I was going to. And then if it, if it looks a bit silly, I can get, because these particular pink buttons are quite hard to get hold of. You couldn't get them kind of locally to where I was. So I thought, well, I'll do that. And then if it looks a bit silly and I need to fill in, I can get ordinary white ones from the local store and just do pink and white. That'll be okay. <laughs> so I start putting these buttons on and I'm not looking at the bowl. This is really important to get this. The bowl of the buttons is on the other side of the cake and I'm kind of leaning down on the kitchen counter looking at what I'm doing and reaching over. Right. So I put a few on and thought, I'll just check how I'm doing for buttons and looked and thought, it doesn't look like there's any gone. <laughs> Didn't think any more of it. You know, pressed more, looked again and thought, hang on, it still doesn't look like there's any gone. At this point, I started to catch on what was, what was happening. I'm like, no. So I started testing it. I started putting them really close together. And I kept going and going and going and going. And I covered the whole of the outside of this cake. And there were eight left over. I had the presence of my count how many buttons were left over before I ate them or something. And I mean, I was like super drunk on this. But I checked. Later <laughs> on in the day, I checked. Because I don't like to run around telling people something's happened and then, you know, sometimes that happens. People go, oh, it was a miracle, it was a miracle. And then when they actually check into it, they go, oh, wait, no, actually, there was an explanation to that. So I checked that these particular buttons only come in 100-gram packs. I double-checked that I had only ever had one pack in the house, you know, that I hadn't yep. had some sort of mind flip and had two packs. Um, and then I had the presence of mind later in the day. I took some off. I went to the supermarket and had a sort of feel of a packet and thought, no, there definitely isn't enough buttons to do what I just did in that packet. There just isn't. And I, um, I took a few off the cake and weighed them. And I, I can't remember the maths now. I'd have to look back at my where I wrote about it and work it out. But it was something like um, there were eight buttons in 20 grams. So in a 100-gram 100, 100 pack, there would be about 40 buttons. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. There were at least 75 buttons on the outside of that cake. Plus the eight left over? Plus the, late, the eight left over. But there were at least, you know, like two packs worth of buttons. <laughs> and I, I was I was smashed but the the night before I kind of got this I was like oh, I get it I get it heaven is now heaven is here heaven is all around us like I was like really super pumped up and, and Peter came home from work and I'm like oh, don't you get it don't you get it and he's like that's nice dear is there any dinner you know <laughs> You don't understand. This is a miracle. This is huge. No, this was before the buttons. This was the night before I was like this. And he said, oh. I'll believe it when I see it. 
So you got the revelation and you thought it was huge and he was kind of like, yeah, where's dinner? Yeah. And then the cake thing happened and I called him at work and I said, you know, you'd believe it when, when you saw something happen. And he went, yeah. And he went, wait, you've just seen something happen, haven't you? Yeah. It, once you've seen something like that, you're never gonna you're never gonna forget it. And a few days later, he did it with loads of bread as well. Did he really? Wrapped loads of bread in plastic wrappers. So how did that happen? <laughs> I I was having a delivery done from the grocery people, and I always at, at that point our son was about you know fifteen. You know how much bread these kids go through, and I used yeah. to like buy four kind of family sized loaves of bread every week. And put some in the freezer. Well, because I'd ordered the the delivery a bit early, I think it was Easter weekend actually. Some, there's a thing going on with Easter weekend with us. Isn't there? I'd ordered it a bit early because it was a public holiday or something. So I'd already got some in the freezer. So I I get the four loaves, and I'm kind of like playing Tetris trying to put them in the freezer. And I went back out to the front porch to get, and I'd only ordered like three bags of shopping or something. It wasn't a huge, it was just like a top-up order to get us through the weekend. I went back to get the cans and thought, oh, no, I've ordered too much bread. was my first thought, because there's another four loaves of bread. And you think, oh, no, what am I going to do with all that, you know? And then I thought, oh, wait. And then I thought, well, am I going mad? Did I only have two loaves in there or something? And I checked, and no, the, the loaves of bread that I had just sort of pushed into the freezer were still there, soft, four of them. And there's another four in the front porch. And I checked the receipt from the store, only four loaves on it, and I'd got eight. And when I thought about it, I thought, well, the guy turned up with like three bags of shopping. If there had been eight loaves of bread there, we would have both noticed. Right. You know, right. you'd have been like, the first thing you would have noticed was, I think there's too much bread here. <laughs> you'd have, yeah, you'd have spotted it, you know, it, it, but you can never quite prove it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that I've ever seen food multiplication myself. I have a lot of friends who have seen it. Yeah. Um, in fact, a friend just posted a testimony on Facebook this morning where they were doing an outreach for the homeless and they had bought 200 bottles of water uh, to give out to, to homeless people. And they had an enormous turnout of people that day at the outreach, more like about four or 500 people. And they gave out a bottle of water to each person. And it kept going. And they, uh, <laughs> the funny thing was, so they had, they had the water in uh, coolers and they, would, they were handing out the bottles of water and one person would go to the cooler, take a bottle out as they needed it, give it to someone else, and they would hand it out to the person who needed it. So there's this thing where the person handing it out doesn't know how many are left in the cooler. Yeah, they're not looking. And the person who's manning the cooler doesn't know how many people are out there waiting for water. Uh-huh. So neither person is really aware of the situation. When, they would, when the person, someone would say, hey, how many bottles of water do we have left? The person would go back and check, and there would be two bottles of water in the cooler. Every time they went to the cooler and got another bottle of water for someone, there was always two left in the cooler. Just another one. Another, yeah. Another, it would continually always be two left in the cooler. 
And then they handed out the last bottle of water, and they said, how many do we have left? They went back, and there was none left in the cooler. But the, the event was over, and there were, they didn't need any more. That was the last person. Yes. That was the last person. So they, they, somehow the water just kept multiplying until yes. there was enough to, to meet everybody's need. I have heard a, quite a few testimonies like that. Yeah, I've heard I, lots of stories like that. I, I think this is something we need to get. But not, not yeah. And, but the big principle in what happened with the chocolate buttons is that I took what I had and I used it. Cause I thought, and you used it. I think that'll exactly. be enough. Never mind, I'll carry on and use what I've got. And that's, that's, the, that's such a, it's a tiny thing, but it's such a big thing if you can get it. In, in the story of the multiplication of the loaves, yeah. what everybody misses when they read this passage is the food did not multiply in the hands of Jesus. It's not like they had a huge pile of bread. No, I know. What happened was Jesus told the disciples, hand it out. And they didn't quite see it happen. It just sort of kept going. It just kept going. As they kept handing it out, it began to multiply. And they would hand out some more, thinking, oh, we're going to run out pretty soon. And they would hand out some more and hand out some more. Oh, it's not not gone yet. We still have more. And they would just keep handing it out and it would keep multiplying. That while you are using, while you're taking what you have and using it, that's when it starts to multiply. So I don't know that it's really practical to pray over your freezer and expect God to multiply your frozen dinners. No, exactly. And, you know, you don't pray over your bank account. and you know. Right. But if you invite a bunch of friends over to your house and then realize, oh, dear, I don't know if I have enough food. Well, we're just going to keep serving until we run out. That's the yeah. time when yeah, the food exactly. is probably going to multiply. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a sort of super spiritual moment. It's just... Ooh, using <laughs> She's playing in the glory cloud. Um, it's just using what God's given you. And that goes for ministry. It goes for food, money, time. Yeah. Petrol in your car, whatever. Petrol in your car, telling your healing testimonies. You know, I've, as I've told the stories that are in the book, God's given me more. Exactly. More started happening. As I've, because I've now written, I've written the book. It, it's out, out. Writing it, encouraged me as well kind of rekindled my flame of you know my flame never went out but it kind of you know got me moving again a bit more it's a rolling ball and now we're getting more stories and more stories and things it, are happening it, it, it is a rolling ball and it takes the most energy to get the ball rolling once yep. you get the ball rolling it takes very little energy to keep it rolling now i have so many people who write to me and say Oh, I, what do I need to do <laughs> to see people healed? I pray over my family. I pray over myself. I just don't yes. see anyone healed. And I, uh, gosh, it's, I feel really bad for these people. But what I generally tell them is, look, you have to develop a little bit of momentum, spiritual momentum. You have to get yourself moving in that direction. And honestly, if your wife has multiple sclerosis or if your husband is in a wheelchair with some incurable disease, that's maybe not your best uh, way to get the ball rolling. No. Maybe you'd be better to find someone in a grocery store 
who has carpal tunnel syndrome or a frozen shoulder or back pain, somebody at work who has back pain, start out with something easy. Exactly. And get a little bit of, get, get one or two little victories and get the momentum going, get the ball rolling. You don't start out with the most difficult thing in the world and then determine, well, I don't have the gift of healing because I, I can't, I have a friend who's got Lou Gehrig's disease and I can't get them healed. Well, guess what? I only know of three or four testimonies of Lou Gehrig's disease being healed, but I know of tens of thousands of people who've been healed of neck and back and shoulder pain and knee pain. Start out, my thing is start out with something easy and get the ball rolling. Like you said, when Jesus said this parable of the talents, take what you have, take what he's given you and invest it. Mm. Use it, put it to work and it'll multiply. And it'll grow. If you bury it in the ground, nothing is going to happen. Absolutely. And and the kingdom is all about growth. It's taking what little he has given you, what little revelation, what little faith he's given you, yeah. and use it, and yeah. it'll multiply. Absolutely. And multiplying it is. It's all about multiplication. <laughs> that's that's going to be the next um, the next set of stories, I think. Because off, off the back of what happened with the um, chocolate buttons... I was like, because I'm kind of, if you if you cut me in half down the middle, you know, like a stick of rock, it would probably says evangelist, 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 evangelist. <laughs> I, I would imagine, because like my first, you know, my first thought is, oh, my second thought is, how do I share this? You know, and and God was like, He just dropped this this um, subject line. He just said, the Matthew six project. Ah. And I did a little project on my blog for a little while where I, I basically just worked my way through what was in our cupboards and only bought what I needed. It was easy for me to do because at the time I was picking up one of our daughters um, from a school that was just literally just across the road from a supermarket. But I only bought what we needed for that day. Even if something was on three for two special offer, just for the purposes of this exercise, I only bought what I needed for that day. And during that time, over those few weeks, we actually saw other things multiply, like a chili that just kind of had twice as much as it should have done. And I was literally applying um, Matthew 6, do not worry about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of God. would still go to the markdown section and see if there were some nice sausages that were on offer or something. That's fine, you know, it's there. But don't buy more than you need for that day it's quite an extreme exercise i realized this but i did it and i blogged about it and i recently realized that actually that's my next book and it will have like <laughs> practical like you know practical steps to see jesus gave us these instructions call me extreme if you like i want to see what happens if i actually follow them <laughs> we're so busy being kind of western and organized and affluent We've got so much food in our cupboards, would we even know if it multiplied? Right, right. You don't need to. You're not right, giving, exactly. You're not giving it if, an opportunity to, you know. If, you, if you're buying enough groceries to last you two weeks, then what's, how would you notice and what's the point of multiplication? Yeah, exactly. So I did it as an experiment and we saw some, some cool stuff happen. Um, which at the moment I'm not sharing because I'm I'm going to write about it properly and actually like put some some proper like steps in here, you know. Well, you are British, so we've got to do this proper. 
if we're going to do it properly, <laughs> I don't want to overload people either. You know, I've got people coming to my site now and they're, they're looking to learn kind of baby steps in supernatural ministry. And, and if you overload, yes, just you know, it's yes. not it's not going to help anyone. So I've kind of like put that to one side for the moment. But um, what I want to do is much what I've done with the supernatural housewife is actually just like almost maybe give you like a week's work of, of exercises to do and maybe worksheets and stuff you know it'll be like a manual to actually seeing the kingdom of heaven in your four walls so that's going to be fun i'm, I'm excited about that that is going to be fun i'm looking forward to seeing some of that too i've no idea when i'm going to start writing it but you know i've got filming and stuff to do first there's so much happening at the moment it's untrue I've got filming to do, too, and I'm putting it off. <laughs> You're a bad boy. I just want to write another book. I don't want to actually do videos. <laughs> are, we having, are we having a little fear barrier there, Dave? Do you need we, to... We, we are. We are. I might break the fear barrier class. <laughs> I, I probably do. You probably do. It's only it's just a series of emails. It's nothing too awful. But well, speaking of which, if people go to your website and sign up, for your newsletter, they'll get these little messages breaking the fear barrier. Yeah, you need to sign up for that separately. If you if you go on the website, there is actually a link for the break the fear barrier course, and it's uh, it's just a five day series of emails. I think it will develop into more over time, but at the moment it's just five emails with some little worksheets you can print out and do, and it helps you identify what God's calling you to do. What it is you need to do, you know, break it down into baby steps of what it is you need to be able to do that you can't currently do or you don't currently feel able to do to achieve that. And then we kind of look at just a little bit, and, and I've borrowed from you, I'm afraid, but kind of like a little bit of prayer exercise to identify where the, maybe where that fear might come from. Well, if you borrowed it from me, just rest assured that I stole it from someone else, so it's okay. <laughs> And, um, and, you know, identify where that fear might come from. There's a little prayer exercise. And, and it, at the end of the week, the challenge is, and, and I don't know, some people tell me they've done it, some people don't. I'm just putting it out there and letting people take what they find useful from it. But on, on day five, we, at the beginning of the week, we identify a small thing. Stop looking, you're looking at my cloud again. I'm looking at your cloud. It's weird, isn't it? It's too bad I can't put the video on the podcast. That'd be really cool. Um, at the beginning of the week we identify a small thing so you know for someone that's really struggling with with like um fear of talking to strangers for example the small goal they can set themselves for the week might be to um ask how the cashier how she is you know on right. the way to the supermarket. Just, a, just a little icebreaker um, just a just a little thing. It, it depends on what your particular fear is. And when I set this up, I suddenly thought, oh, hang on, I'm going to have to break some of my own fear barriers here, aren't I? <laughs> so on week one, my my kind of thing that I've really battled with for a long time is fear of video. I don't uh, like being on video. I don't mind if I'm preaching and someone videos it, although I tend not to watch my own footage. But just talking to a video camera... I just, yeah, it, yeah. You don't like that either, do you, Dave? I can see the look on your face. You're like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. So I set myself a, a challenge, and uh, I think you came and watched me do it, didn't you? I did. I set on the Monday. I set that on Friday I was going to do a periscope broadcast, and yep. I did it. And you did it, and you broke the fear barrier. 
I broke the fear barrier. Well, it's still not my favorite thing, but now I know I can do it, you know. Right. So, um, so yeah, if anyone wants to come and find me, that is completely free of charge. It's not, uh, there's no strings attached to that. And there's a Facebook group that runs kind of parallel to that where you can come in and kind of post how you're getting on. And over time, I'm going to add other stuff to that. It's called the Supernatural Housewife Training Camp. For what that sounds, that for sounds what exciting. A, a slightly more floaty title. I couldn't think of <laughs> called it that. Um, and, you know, over time, I'm going to add more stuff to that. As God kind of gives me the, the downloads, we'll start doing it in there. We'll do a little bit of prophetic training maybe and, you know, just some, some gentle exercises to help people start getting brave. But I've got I've got people in there that are starting to step out and pray for people and, you know, some of them are posting about it in the group. Some of them come and tell me privately that they've done it because it's a bit personal. They can't always yeah. get what they've done, you know. But yeah. it's good. It's working. It's really good fun. It's, it's good watching what people are doing. So I've got so many pies. I don't know where to... Which, which one's just exploded on me? And in the next couple of weeks, um, our mutual friend Korma is going to um, spend some time following me around with a camera. That's the fun part. That's the part that's I'm not looking forward to because well, that's it, what we settled on. Rather than trying to do actual training videos, we're going to start with that. She's just going to. We're literally we're going to go shopping. She's going to mic me up and she'll have a small camera with her. And we will just go shopping and just see what happens. And when we'll just see what happens. We'll just catch it on film to kind of take the pressure off, really. I'm I'm going to end up doing the same thing. I will probably either have Denise or Lydia follow me around with the camera, and we'll go shopping and do things and and just see what happens. Yeah. Speak to Korma about your sound arrangements before you do it. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you go because you have things to do, I'm sure, and and I have some things I need to do. It was lovely talking to you, as ever. It was lovely talking to you, Rebecca. Um, I'm going to be praying for the UK to do all that God has desired for you to do uh, in the coming season. I think everything's going to work out just fine. Yeah, yeah. N- no worries. No worries. Well, that's, you're thinking of Australia there. You're getting me tangled up. I know. I have a lot of Aussie mates, and their 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 big thing is no worries, and it's become part of my. It's absolutely uh, no problem, old chap. There you go. That sounds a bit more British. <laughs> <laughs> chin up. Chin up. Chin chin. Right. Okay. I'll talk to you really soon. Okay. Thanks Bye. so much, Becca. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about this show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.